Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? I was hoping to start this podcast with the long-awaited two most uh, famous words in sports, Game 7. Unfortunately, the Celtics <laughs> did not decide to take part in that dream. The Warriors absolutely stuffed them in a locker over the last three games, including a resounding victory last night, 103-90. And honestly, that 13-point deficit was almost closer than the reality of most of the game. Um, so, you know, Warriors win their fourth title in eight years, six trips. It's the dynasty we've been watching unfold for a long time, the one that I think we've it's in weird way been the most polarizing in that there's a large section of the NBA fan world that absolutely loves the Warriors for the homegrown way that they were built for the underdog stories across the board. And the rest of us, the enlightened ones who recognize the evil for what they are. And, but here you have it. I mean, you got to tip their tip your cap to them. Uh, Steph wins his first finals MVP, obviously well-deserved and everything changes from here on out legacy wise and, and otherwise for, for this whole crew. So, those are my opening thoughts. Where are you at right now? Yeah, this is the evil empire. Uh, this is no San Antonio Spurs, just kind of, you know, winning titles, being quiet about it. They're in your face. and But you know what? I, I have to first say, as much as I hate the Warriors and give them shit, it was an incredible title run, improbable title run to, to some extent, given that just a year ago, two years ago, there's so much uncertainty around the roster, so much uncertainty around Clay coming back and there was even you know Steph like peaked the last couple of years he showed that he could score he could carry the team but you know there were also questions around how long is going to keep able being able to do this at a high level at a contending level um and uh, you know the roster decisions they made they made a lot of shakeups everything came together they won a title that was well deserved um they won it playing a great brand of basketball offensively, defensively. So at the end of the day, you can't complain. Um, but it does suck that we have another dynasty to deal with, uh, or the dynasty has not ended. Well, it's 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 interesting because this team was quite a bit different. When we've talked about this, quite a bit different than the Warriors of, of uh, yesteryear because Clay was a different version of himself. Draymond was clearly a different version of himself. And really the only player that was still at his peak was Steph, who, by the way, had his worst shooting season of his career. So it wasn't exactly like they were came out guns blazing. In fact, during the regular season, they had the 17th best offense in the league. Um, you know, yes, they had the first, you know, number one ranked defense, and that was a big portion of their success. But this high-flying, just like gun you out of the gym warriors didn't really exist until the playoffs came around, and suddenly they started to figure things out in a real, really meaningful way. And I thought they were, you know, a completely different team in the playoffs than what they showed. It's interesting though. This team actually started 18 and two, if you remember. Yeah. And it was like, Oh my God, the warriors are back. And this isn't even with clay. Then clay came back. Draymond got hurt and the whole thing. And then Steph got hurt. It seemed like the wheels were kind of falling off. And look, they had needless to say a very advantageous path through the West, but look, you play who's in front of you. Right. And they got it done, and it's amazing. It really is amazing that they came back. They basically had three lottery picks, including the number two pick that were not even involved in this series. That's what they got for their two years of being bad. None of those guys played a single meaningful moment, really, in this series, and they were still able to win a championship. 
and now they can go build without any worry about what's to come. You and I had this conversation last week. Did they lose their window by not making a win-now move? As it turns out, there is no window to be lost. They just won the title, and they can put all their chips into the table and for whatever these players become in the next iteration of this team. Yeah, and as even though I brought that up last time, um, it's actually amazing that the fact that they didn't make any of those moves and you know even if they won or lost the finals that they were back in the spot and a lot of credit obviously goes to to bob myers for this roster construction i hate that now people are going to start slapping the label light years ahead you know because the warriors are just smarter than the rest of the the league but at the same time you have to give props to some of the savvy smart decisions they made people laughed at the wiggins contract i laughed at the wiggins contract and I still think Wiggins, for the most part, was not like anything special. But I think in the postseason, he definitely elevated his game, which we've never seen him do, and was a big contributing piece. Uh, And that was a contract that was laughed at by everyone in the media. So, you know, what they've done, the development, obviously, from Poole to Payton to all these guys, it's you can't look at it as a ring that, oh, they just they got another Kevin Durant or, oh, they got... They did get lucky with some injuries, but not lucky to the extent where it's like they should have never been here in the first place. So with all that being said, you have to respect how this whole thing came together. This is the purest title team that has existed since their own win in 2015, right? Where you look at the guys that were added, so quote unquote, to this team, total cast off, Otto Porter, Niamia Bielitsa, um, Gary Payton Jr., you know, the guys that were contributors that were not part of the original core, Jordan Poole was thought of as an afterthought. He was the 29th pick in the draft. It wasn't like he was exactly like lauded as like, oh, this is the next great guy. Like the fact that he even came out of nowhere from the G League to prominence is why so many people thought he should be most improved player. And then you have Clay, who had the two worst injuries in basketball and came back, was totally up and down all series. Draymond was invisible in half the series and it didn't matter. I'm like, Still trying to like play back how this happened. I probably oh. picked Boston in like six straight games and they lost four of them. I, I don't get it. It I mean, look, Steph, we're gonna have the top ten ever conversations. You said he was encroaching on that Kobe spot. I have him right outside the top ten at number eleven right now. So we're all really just talking semantics at this point. But this was an absolutely legacy defining performance from him because like I said, he was their only superstar. And it wasn't even like he had a co-star. He had a bunch of guys who stepped up at various moments. Some nights Wiggins was the second best player. Some nights it was Clay. Some nights it was Poole or Draymond. But he brought it every night besides game five. And he brought it all playoffs. And I mean, it's really weird to watch a guard of his size be able to dominate the game the way he he can dominate. Um all the great guards we've had of that size or lower, you've seen them have vulnerabilities. The the one that comes to mind you know, Chris Paul is really the guy that I think about most often is like how easily he can be taken out of his game. Dame has been controlled. Kyrie has been controlled. He never, I mean, there's no defense to play on him. It's literally the best defense maybe in the last 20 years guarding him and they have no chance. So I, he's just added so much to his game from the fact that he was already a two-time MVP. I'm, I'm in amazement watching Steph Curry play basketball right now. So that that's... That's where I'm going to correct you. Or what you said at the end is what I really took away is that I don't think he was always this guy. I think he used to be able to be yeah. taken out of games. And That's we true. talked about Della Vadova locking him up a game or two. And, you know, all those past finals 
people always talk about he actually had pretty good stats and maybe he should have won it. But he also had off games or multiple off games. Um, and I think now he's got it to the point where that is so rare. Like that game where he went over nine is so rare. And because he can impact the game in so many other ways, even if his shot's not falling, he's having an impact. Like early this season or, or middle of the season, when he wasn't shooting well. If you looked at a lot of the advanced stats, he was still up there in every metric because of the way you know, he's passing the way, obviously, the gravity, everything he's been doing. So I think he's finally put everything together in a way that makes him impactful, even when they aren't, um, he isn't shooting well. So I definitely think this is the best version we've seen of him, even though it may not be the most, I don't know, athletic or like the peak scoring, but this is the most complete version for sure. Well, the the two things like that, all, that really amazed me this year is like his finishing at the rim. Every time he drives to the rim, it's like, okay, Rob Williams, Al Horford, somebody should be able to block that shot, contest it. He doesn't take layups like Kyrie where the acrobatics in the air, the English off the, the backboard, that's why he's getting his shots up. It almost looks like every single time he's driving, it's just a straight drive to the basket and he puts it the is. ball in the cup. And no, like, I'm just like, what is it? Like, can anybody could, like, what's happening? And like, part of that is his strength. Part of that is, is his elite quickness. Um, and then the other thing being defensively, he was guarding Tatum better than Tatum was guarding him. I think you said that yep. to me. And you're watching, you're like, Steph Curry is the weak link, quote-unquote, in this defense, yet he doesn't seem to really sacrifice all that much. Uh, and to, to the Warriors' scheme credit, your boy Mike Brown, hopefully he brings this to Sacramento next year, they do a great job never leaving Steph on an island for too long. I think that's another thing that they've corrected from the LeBron versus Warriors years where they would get LeBron would get Steph on a switch and just go to work. Yep. They do a much better job, I think, switching. Part of that was because the Celtics couldn't hit shit uh, in the half court, and so it didn't hurt to help off of guys the way like, you know you could leave Grant Williams, you could leave Derek White, whatever. Um, but I think that was another thing where it's like Steph would have moments going against Tatum or Brown, but not for very long. And when he did have those moments, he was great at stripping down on the ball. He was great at kind of beating guys to his spot. Marcus Smart had a ton of charges just because he was trying to overpower him. It just wasn't working. Um, and so, yeah, like, yeah, I think he's basically like, I always think about people say Durant is better than Steph. And I, and I have said that for a while, but Steph is a complete offensive player at this point. Right. So Durant is a better defender, but I don't see how you could look at it and say he's a better player because what Steph brings offensively, I don't think anybody in the league short of maybe LeBron peak LeBron would bring. Um, so I just, as much as I love Durant, I look at this and I'm like, Yes, he won the two finals MVPs, deservedly so, but this is a Steph-driven engine. And we saw that this year in a way that he's now basically, you know, above reproach. He's done it all, and he's won in every type of way. Yeah, the defense was, was unbelievable to watch just because it actually ends up becoming an asset for the Warriors when he can play good enough defense to not cost you those possessions. But Boston is wasting, not wasting, but utilizing possessions to try to take advantage of that matchup when they really can't. And Golden State's also very good about sending the double at the right moment. Uh, like, there's so many times where the, the post-ups happen, the double comes a little bit late, and then, you know, the expectation is you got to pass right out of that, right? And Marcus Smart got in the situation a few times. But they they kept, I don't know how to describe it, but there still weren't many open passing lanes. Like, they were able to send the double without costing them an open shot. And so Steph was never really in trouble, and he did well enough on the perimeter, too, to not just get cooked. Uh, so I think that was the a big aspect of this game because the Cavs, the reason the Cavs won in 2016 
was because they went into pure hunting mode. Kyrie, mm-hmm. LeBron, game six, game seven. It's tough to watch some of those possessions because they just create the switch and go hunting. And that worked. And clearly, it doesn't work as effectively anymore. Granted, we're talking about LeBron and Kyrie, two of the best one-on-one players or two of the best players. But yeah. But yeah. No, I mean, it's true. And like this is, this is uh, I want to get to the Celtics in a second, but let's stay on the Warriors. But the point that you made is like, look, Jason Tatum, first team All-NBA, all that jazz is great. But the reality is they don't have a tier one star and they don't have someone who can hunt the way those guys could hunt the way even Luca could hunt. Frankly, I mean, if Luca's team hit more threes, that would have been a more competitive series. I felt like, but they didn't have guys who could take advantage of the matchups because Tatum is not at a point in his career where his game is refined enough to be able to exploit all of the things going on in the court. Like the one biggest thing about LeBron is like, he, it's a chess match for him. And we know he's the queen of the board. And it's like, if you make this move here, he'll make that move. Tatum has not figured out the way to read the game in that manner. It'll come. He's young, but that's, that's why the warriors were able to get away with Steph, obviously on the court. And then really playing a lot of pool as well at times together, um, where normally they wouldn't really roll that matchup out. And they didn't against the Mavericks because they knew that Luca was going to hunt it. So, um, I want to talk about Wiggins. So Wiggins was, Number one overall pick, right? It's weird because half of his story is high pedigree, high kind of expectation. The other half is like, this is the true underdog story. And it's like creating this weird mix. He's number one overall pick from Kansas. Um, five-star recruit in high school. Kind of thought of as, he was literally nicknamed Maple Jordan, right? Like that was his name coming into the to the NBA um, from, as he's from Toronto. And he has a pretty good freshman season at Kansas. They flame out in the playoffs largely because Embiid gets hurt, but he's still the number one overall pick by, uh, you know, Cleveland, eventually Minnesota. He has box score numbers that seem commensurate, but everyone knows who you watch him. It's like this guy's totally absent at all moments in time, right? He he has some seasons averaging over 20 points a game. And he gets a five-year max before his rookie extension even runs out. And everyone's looking around like, what you just guaranteed Andrew Wiggins $150 million. Like he's proven absolutely nothing. Um, ends up being a kind of a salary dump, right? They had to attach a pick to move off of him to get D'Angelo Russell. And the, the, the arc to me is, is special because the two things, the one thing he was always good at is scoring uh efficiently or not he could put the ball in the basket the two things you're just begging for him as the athlete that he is to do more is rebound the ball and to play defense and it's like dude you have it all in the toolkit like what the fuck like do this stuff for him to get 29 rebounds between game four and five for him to play absolute stifling defense on jason tatum all serious to the point that tatum looked afraid by the end of it i mean he was their second best player uh, by far, I thought. And it totally spells a new version of his career that I didn't, I sure as hell did not think was possible uh, watching him in Minnesota. I think the defense absolutely changes the way we think about it. But this defense wasn't – now Warriors fans are going to say he's been great on defense all year, and he has. By all metrics, he's been great. Um, but to be a lockdown defender like he was on Tatum, that unlocks a whole new potential – I think the scoring here, here, I want to, the Wiggins takes are so funny to me because I think because of the fact that he was such a disappointment relative to his tools, 
talent. Like the fact that he averaged 24 points a game in his third season, this guy clearly is talented, but he can never put it together and never improved in any meaningful way in the first, I don't know how many years of his career. I give him credit for that. But I also don't think we should go overboard in terms of this guy resurrecting his career or like finally figure. I mean, he did finally figure it out, but at the end of the day, he's still a 17 point per game guy. He's, he gets four boards a game, two assists. What I'll applaud him for is how he elevated that in the finals, how he elevated that in the playoffs. I'll only really truly think he's a changed player once I see this from him throughout a whole regular season. And I still think the scoring potential is a little untapped. Like this guy has the athleticism, the moves to be more aggressive getting to the rim, to to get to the line more than like how many times did he get to the line this year? Um, he got to the line looking it up. Uh, 3.2 times per game this season. Exactly. Like, this guy is a lanky, strong wing. He needs to be averaging, and I know the Warriors, they've got all kinds of scoring options, et cetera, but he could be averaging 23-24, and that, to me, is the Wiggins that finally realizes his full potential. So as great as he's been, as much as he's elevated this game this postseason, I'm not ready to say this guy is amazing just yet. He still didn't deserve all-star starter. His numbers in the regular season were... Harrison Barnes, like I'll still stand by that. Zach Lowe even mentioned, I think last season that they're the same player. I get clown for that take. Wiggins is clearly better because of his defense and he's doing a lot of stuff. Barnes can't do, but I want to see it for a whole regular season. So that's all. That's my take on Wiggins. Look, I think the 23, 24 points per game, he's done that, right? Like he, in, in, in 2018, sorry, 2016, 17, he averaged 19 shots a game, seven free throws a game, 23.6 points per game. They lost a ton, right? He's not being asked to do that when you have Clay taking 15 to 20 shots a game, when you have Poole taking 10 to 15, and of course you have Curry. So within the construct, yes, he could be more aggressive, but I thought he actually did a really nice job when the offense was mucked down because the Celtics were disrupting yep. everything. He was kind of the main guy that could just kind of dribble, drive, create, and that was showing some of those old war, uh, old Timberwolves days. To me, I think it's not that he has unlocked some sort of future Hall of Famer, six-time All-Star kind of thing. I don't think that's the career he's going to have. And frankly, he's still overpaid for that, right? Because he's paid to be that guy, and he's not. The Warriors are the one team where it works because they don't give a shit about the luxury tax. They don't give a shit about how much they're paying their players. This would not have worked anywhere else, and that's much as clear. Like, you send him to Dallas right now and say, okay, it's just Luka, and you replace you know, Reggie Bullock with Andrew Wiggins, let's say. They're not, I mean, they're not doing anything different than they did this year. Right. In fact, there's probably going to be a little worse because he's not as good of a shooter as Bullock. And it worked on the Warriors because he was asked to play a role. He is maybe the best role player in the league. And that's what he is. I just think if you told me four years ago that he was going to be the second best team player on a title team. I don't think I would have believed that, honestly. And and granted, he is a little bit worse of a second best player as like Anthony Davis was on the bubble Lakers. Right. Like, obviously, the ceiling is different, but. He still had to do a lot. I had to carry them through a bunch of difficult stretches. Game five, when Steph was 0 of 9 from three, like that was a Wiggins game, right? And so he's had multiple moments where he's flashing away. I don't, I, I think it's unfair to say that we expected this from him. This is not, this is a winning basketball that he was not playing in Minnesota, numbers aside. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. The, when the offense got mucked up and he went in and saved possessions. That is something we've never seen from Wiggins because Wiggins was always known for disappearing. And sometimes you'd be like, he'd get 20 points. You'd be like, I did not feel the impact of his game at all. 
And there were clearly times in the last, especially in the last couple of games, game five and six, where he kind of took it upon himself to create something, get to the rim, get to the line, which I, I know I just criticized him for not doing enough, but he started doing some of those things. So I, I know I'm a little harsh on Wiggins. I just, he's just been a frustrating player because I actually really loved him coming out of college. Um, I was excited for him. I thought he was going to be amazing. And his career has just been kind of weird because he's just been floating. But um, yeah, maybe now he's finally figured it out. And it takes, sometimes it takes going to a good team, being in that system. You know, I wonder how many draft picks, maybe if they didn't come to the Kings, could have, you know, were better but, than they were because a lot of it's development. So, and the Warriors have done I, a good job. I think about that all the time, right? Because, like, we have seen so many player development stories go wrong because they're not in the right situation. Like, I reject the notion that anybody could be good if they're good enough, right? Like, I think a lot of people say that. Rosillo talks about that all the time where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't trust, like, sitting out a year or being under this quarterback or being under this coach really makes a difference. It's like, that is such a uh, simplified and, and kind of, like, illogical way to look at human development. Like, the same things don't tick for everyone. The same ways to coach or train or teach someone don't work in all instances. It's I think it's foolish to think that that's the case. If you put LeBron or Durant or Michael Jordan or Kobe on any team, sure. But we're talking about like the 1% of the 1% that would maybe flourish no matter the situation, right? For a lot of other guys, there's inflection points throughout their careers. And you look at the Warriors roster and it's like, I don't think this collection of players would have become this. And you go back to Draymond Green, who was a second-round pick and was fat and out of shape and sitting on the bench behind David Lee those early years, right? It had to take Steve Kerr unlocking him. It had to take figuring out the small ball five death lineup thing. Um, You know, Clay Thompson was always an awesome shooter, but you remember those early years, it was like, does this guy do anything else? And it's like he became an elite two-way defender, right? a two-way player, you know, with that defense. Uh even even Harrison Barnes was kind of thought of as like, okay, this is like an afterthought. He was supposed to be this amazing player at UNC, never really turned into anything. Now, like you said, he's a really, really solid player. I mean, some of that has to be attributed to those Warriors days. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I just think that like they figured out, and maybe this is cover, comes to Bob Myers, they figured out just like how to make the engine work um, in, a, in, a, in a way that we haven't, really seen since it's kind of like the Jordan Bulls, right? Because the Spurs dynasty was over 15 years. So that had its own type of brilliance, um, but it was different. This is such a short amount of time with the amount of player movement that exists in today. Like, do you think we'll see a six finals, eight years kind of team in the next era of NBA basketball? Highly unlikely. I mean, it's possible if you have a situation like the Durant cap spike and if Durant never went to the Warriors, they, of course, would have been in the mix. They would have won another title, but it would have been spread out. You know, who knows how it works, but there's no – we don't think of them as a dynasty the same way. Yeah, so but I do that think kind they, of situation – I think we get Cavs-Warriors again in 17, right? Yeah, and then the Warriors the Cavs win that. Let's, get, let's the give the Cavs Warriors win. that, right? Or if they win, the Warriors win that one. They meet again maybe the next year, Cavs win that. But my point is – it doesn't go much longer than that. After a while, your your team starts, things kind of start changing. Look, in some ways, and I know no one wants to hear this, in some ways, it helps to have a reset button. And the Warriors got that in the form of Steph got injured. Clay got injured, not in the way you'd want. He was out for, obviously, way too long, two seasons. 
but it allows them to retool, kind of get some other guys some shine. And now I know even in their bad season, all those guys weren't on the team anymore, like Eric Pascal and all of that. But you reshape, retool your roster, retinker with things, and gets you to a point where you can make another run. Because it's not like that team that in 2019, that version, was going to keep petering along if none of them got injured, right? Like, they had to kind of go through this I mean, more Most importantly than anything is the mental fatigue and getting yeah. a chance to almost, like, stop playing competitive basketball. Like, think about if yeah. you had one playoff run as a freaking fan. It would be, like, exhausting to the point of, like, you're on the brink. Like, Bill Simmons was talking about that this morning. He's like, I need a mental break. I need to go to therapy this summer because watching the Celtics play every night is, like, freaking cardiac arrest over and over and over again, right? Imagine playing that way for six straight years or five straight years or whatever. It's like, I mean, that's why kind of Jordan retired, isn't it? Like, after 93, that's why he stepped away. Um, LeBron doing it eight, nine straight years, I mean – we know the that is probably the feather of in his cap of any accomplishment, in my opinion, at least that he's ever had in his career is going to eight straight finals. He did it in two different teams. Does that help? Does that not? I don't know. Um, maybe it does, but I don't think that that's something that you can take lightly because it's just too intense. It's too yeah. grueling every season, every game. Like Jason Tatum in this playoffs alone, for example, he almost cracked a thousand minutes. He played 24 games, 41 minutes a game. So think about that over and over and over again. So, you know. Yeah, it's 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 insane. And, you know, Steve Kerr, we even heard Steve Kerr was dealing with health issues at one point, and it was getting to him, like, all these long postseason runs. So having those two years where your team doesn't do anything, it helps. The one thing I, I, I hate, the narrative that starts coming up again is Steph and the Warriors win the right way. Steph is winning the right way. Um, I saw this come up on Twitter, uh, which is winning with the same team that you were drafted with uh, and staying with the same team and why that matters more with Kobe. And I think that's winning in the ideal way. It's ideal way. Everyone wants that. Even players would love to be in one place forever and everything works out. Saying it's the right way is, is is not good because like we just said, guys like Wiggins, guys like Poole, who haven't had the same level of success. Now, part of it is because of stuff, but they come into a system, they come into a culture that allows them to grow, that allows them to thrive. And not everyone's fortunate enough to be in that kind of winning culture and environment. And the Warriors get all the kudos in the world for building that. Um, but Steph Curry's career could have gone a number of, of ways. It could have gone, he could have gotten drafted by the Kings. And I guarantee you, he does not win four championships with the Kings. And so this whole thing of he won it the right way, the Warriors have done everything the right way, fine. But I don't think we should be putting players above others in any pecking order because of the fact that they stayed with the team when they did it. Not saying that they're the same kind of player, but the alternate bizarre world reality of Steph is Dame, who has stayed with the same team and gets clowned every other day for his quote-unquote loyalty. Dame is no shortage of accolades. He was a top 75 guy. He's made six, seven all-stars, all NBAs. You know, he's he's really only had one deep conference uh, playoff run because he just hasn't had the team around him. And, like, yes, he is not Steph. I'm not saying that he is. But point being, that's the alternate version if you don't win a bunch of titles. And it's like, okay, well, should I be Dirk where I stay 13, 14 years and finally get the ring? Yeah, Dirk's title probably felt so much better to him than Durant's yep. two yeah, titles with Golden State. 
I'm sure, I'm sure if Durant won in 16 with OKC, he would like that title more than if he won 17 with Golden State. He may never say that publicly, but I can't imagine that's not true. The real question becomes like, this is where we tell the line between making a decision that's good for yourself versus like running away with too much player empowerment, right? Because Harden, if Harden just stayed in Houston, that team was probably not going anywhere, right? So him wanting out of Houston, I didn't think was crazy. Uh, the way he did it was crazy, obviously, like literally like throwing the ball away on the court. But like wanting out of Houston after eight years, that team was kind of done, fine. But then doing it again in Brooklyn when he kind of picked and engineered his situation, that's where it becomes like, okay, what's the ideal way, quote unquote, versus the right thing to do versus like you taking care of yourself and trying to put yourself in the best possible situation. And it starts blending. It's a, it's a little bit of a spectrum, right? Um, but look, the best franchises are obviously going to have the best title chances when they get a player of the caliber of Steph or in the case of Miami, the player of the caliber of Wade. Right. Wade never wanted to go anywhere because they won in year three. They won again in his like year nine and 10 or whatever it was. And they always were competitive, save for one gap year where they drafted Michael Beasley. So very similar, actually, to this uh, Warriors run that we're talking about. They were always good and they were always spending to be good. If you're not spending to be good or if you're not making good decisions, why should a player be like, you know what? I'm going to play with Kendrick Perkins and Derek Fisher and Karan Butler in this OKC team. If Durant, you know, Durant's looking around, he's like, they traded James Harden. They traded Jeff Green. You know, they are making me play with Tabo Cephalosha and Andre Roberson who cannot shoot. What, like, am I beholden to be here so I do things the right way? I, I agree with that. I mean, I think you put it nicely. It's ideal versus right. It doesn't mean a player is making a wrong choice. It just may be making the less fortunate one for him and the league. Yeah, exactly. And and obviously there are ways, there are situations like Harden where I don't think it's, you can definitely knock on that, right? Because if you're asking out every year, that's a different story. Yeah. But I don't want to give players extra credit because they stayed in one place. Um, I think the extra credit Steph gets is that he's kept the ship together and it's all because of him over the course of how many years now? Seven, eight, since they, eight or nine? I mean, yeah, um, I mean, this is 13 years for him. But, yeah, they've been, they've been good since, like, 14. Yeah, but I'm not giving you any gold medal for, for the fact that you've done it all with one team. So that's, what about that's the only thing because that, that is coming up a lot. Hmm? What about Dirk? Because Steph had success early, right? They won a title in year six for him, which is pretty early for, for a star. Dirk had the heartbreak of 06, comes back, wins MVP, then another heartbreak in round one, stays with the team, finally pulls through versus an all-time stacked lineup of teams they went against. Like, I give him credit for that. Yeah, I mean, Dirk does get credit for that, for sure. Um, Because he also only won towards the end of his career. Uh, Not towards the end, but he was already kind of on the downswing when they won that title. As good as he was, he was not at his peak. The the good example or comp for Curry, and it's actually been in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons, is Duncan, right? Because they both had success early. They could have left, but kind of like, why would you? Why, like, Duncan flirted with the Magic in 2000, and 2000, right? Or 2001, I can't remember, when he was a free agent. And yeah. he almost yeah, signed yeah. a deal. It was supposed to be that. Duncan, T-Mac, and Hill, which would have been ridiculous on their, in its own world if they all stayed healthy. But he's like, okay, I won one title. I have a good nucleus around me. Like, I love pop. Okay, let me come back. And Kerr has that – I mean, sorry, Curry has that same thought with – Draymond Clay and Steve Kerr. So it's also like 
you have to evaluate what the best decision is for the player. And if everybody's always making the best decision for themselves, some of it involves staying with your incumbent team. Some of it involves leaving. I don't find that to be much of a difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. No, you're, you're right. And I, I just think of, you know, we, these dynasties happen, what, once every 10 years? And yeah. dynasties don't happen just because of the star player. It's a confluence of it's a star player. It's a good system. It's a coach. It's a culture. Everything comes together that allows you to sustain that success over a period of time. But it's once every 10 years that happens. If there's so many stars in the NBA, so many top talented players, especially when you look at today's NBA, but we're not going to see dynasty crop. It's not even possible for that to happen, but it, it's just, it takes so much to, to get it right. And even the Warriors, they went through a seminal moment where, look, Monte Ellis was a fan favorite early in the early days of Joe Lacob's ownership of the Warriors. Fans didn't want him to get rid of Monte. They traded away Monte to free up because Steph was the future to free up time for him in a world in which they don't trade him and get Bogut. And they kind of try to build around Steph, Monte. Maybe they make a decision that, you know, we'll move Steph, get a different piece, right? Like all these things could have happened. And so they were going to trade Clay for Clay and they're going to trade Clay for love. So it's like all these things have to kind of go in the right way to to keep this going. Because if any one of those points just shifted a little bit, they would have totally been a different team. Like if Kevin Love came to the Warriors, that team would have been good, sure, but there's no way they're a sustained legacy. I think what this, and I know that this is, you're going to like the jump dynasty. all over the statement, but what this taught me, this title, was that even if they didn't get Durant, they probably win. Maybe they don't win three after that. They win two. Not two. One. They win. Like they just won in 2022 after Clay Thompson spent two and a half years on a rehab table. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I think like, that's why I said in 2017, I think they could have won. They could have beaten the Cavs. Uh, yeah, so even they, I think they win one Durant. more in the next five years after that. And then I think the Cavs win one more after that. Like, so I, I they still would have been good. Durant just made it so that there was no competition, automatic two titles. You know, nothing could have happened to prevent them from winning. The, Clay could have gone down that year, one of those years, and they still would have won the title. Yeah. It was the ultimate insurance policy. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think that's right. Um, let's switch over to Boston for a bit. So, oh my Celtics, god, we haven't even gotten to Boston. Yeah. Hey, well, anything else on the Warriors? I mean, we can always bounce back to them. Anything no, I mean, else I'm tired of. I've been I've been too nice to the Warriors. Already. Yeah, we've been. Yeah, this is this is not this is nauseating. Um, Boston. So, if you remember, they were basically I think five five hundred for over a hundred games between. Last season, last year's playoffs, this season, and basically just went ballistic after January 1st, right? We're the best team in the league, best metrics all around. I think like four or five weeks to the playoffs, leading up to the playoffs, where it looked like they were going to be a five seed, six seed maybe. If you recall, there were uh, a lot of uh, statistical models, 538, uh, ESPN, BPI, et cetera, that had them as the title favorites. And everyone's like, what the hell is this thing? Like, you have the Bucks, you have the Suns, you have Golden State, you have Brooklyn. Like, this is crazy. Like, you guys are idiots. Like, Boston's going to win the title. And as the season progressed, you know, they slowly crept up all the way to two. And a lot of people, myself included, you did not do this, but I picked Brooklyn. I was like, you know what? Give me Kevin Durant. They'll figure everything out. Ben Simmons will be back. <laughs> It'll all work out. It was a close series, but they dumped him, right? They really, I mean, 
close series. You can't be a close series that much if it's a sweep. Let's be real. Um, and then I think for them to get through that Milwaukee series, Middleton or not, was seminal moment, I thought, for Tatum, especially uh, with the 46-point game in game six and then just the bloodbath that was game seven. So I thought that was really, really impressive to beat, to beat Giannis. And then the Miami series, I, I think we both agreed Miami was not a team that seemed good enough to be in the Final Four, but that's where they were. And so it's like, wow, this is actually starting to turn into something. And Warriors were slight favorites, but I picked Boston. Um, maybe it was about half and half again. You picked Golden State, so you were right there. Um, let me start with the positives, basically. I was very impressed with this team. I did not expect them to go through the gauntlet that they did. Uh, I did not expect them to get to the finals at any point during the uh, regular season for sure and at the start of the playoffs. Let's start there. Like, How pivotal was this for Tatum, for Brown, for Smart to get over the hump of all these conference finals where they just kind of fell by the wayside to actually being a team that was you know, a couple games away from a, a championship? Absolutely huge. And, and Boston fans have to, and the franchise has to look back at this as an incredibly successful season. I think Ime Odoka, given it's his first year, clearly a shakeup was needed. We all talked about it from the standpoint of a roster shakeup. Like I was always a proponent of trading Jalen and getting something else and reconstructing this team. But they st- stayed the course and made, the, obviously, like Derek White. Um got rid of Dennis Schroeder. And sometimes just those moves on the fringes plus a new coach can give you new energy. And and I think the fact that they got to the finals and even if they didn't win it, massively, massively successful. The arrow can only point up. But I I think at the same time, you can also be incredibly disappointed because they were so close. Like we've seen this time and time again. We saw last year with Phoenix. There's no guarantee you're going to be back. And the East is, is brutal. Jalen's only 24, or sorry, Jason's 24. Jalen, I don't know how old he is. He's 25 or 26. 25 or 26, right? So they're young. But Horford, you know, this team is, this is not like a young, young core, right? That's going to be there for five, six years. They've got the pieces, but given how competitive the East is, given just, you know, the nature of the NBA and player movement, um, I think you can be incredibly proud of what happened, but also super disappointed that they could not pull it off. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at it just on paper, they were the better team versus Golden State, but there were so many mistakes over and over and over again. The same kinds of mistakes repeating themselves um, from their stars, right? Like, And, and they got nothing from their bench. I thought Ime Doka did a great job throughout the playoffs, and he just ran out of ideas frankly he did like he was leaving Horford on an island versus Steph and he was dribbling right by him and it's almost like we've tried everything else and like Phoenix is a good cop because Phoenix is a little older namely Paul everyone else is young but the very next season they looked like the absolute favorite to win the title they looked so good and it's like if Boston started that way next year I guarantee everyone would be like all right this was a good learning experience and now they're going to build from it like we've seen so many teams do in the past um but, you know, Phoenix flamed out, and now the West is loaded again, right? Let's say Boston doesn't win it next year. That's one more year for Brooklyn to figure it out or for Philadelphia or for, uh, you know, Milwaukee and Miami, and they're always going to be there. Charlotte could be coming. You just never know. Like, two years is an eternity in the NBA. 
And it's yep. really hard to say, yeah, we'll definitely be back. I think we've been spoiled with the Steph and LeBron teams that just keep coming back year after year. But besides those two, there's not really a whole host. Like you look at Kawhi Leonard, who at last year when before he got hurt was clearly thought of as like either the best or the second best player in the league, right? The way he was playing. It's been three years with the Clippers. They don't even have one finals game to show for it, right? With this grand plan to make it all work. So you just it's just difficult to to say, yeah, for with certainty, we're gonna always be in the mix or always be favorites. Um and like you and I caught a lot of flack from, you know, our buddy. We know we know who he was about the way we covered Tatum uh last week. This is exactly why we covered him the way he did. We did. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm going to make the right pass here and there, or I'm going to kind of like figure out this right switch defensively. Like you are allegedly the superstar of the team. You were first team all NBA, which means they thought you were one of the five best players in the entire NBA. And you can't, I know he's 24, but look, that's heavy lies. The head, the words, the crown, right? Like you cannot have a series where you turn the ball over all the time you take just egregious shots. You don't try to get to the line. You aren't able to finish at the rim. You know, the only thing he was good at was shooting threes. Everything else was a disaster. And so if you look at his numbers, maybe they look like somewhat okay because of the three-point shooting. But like 100 turnovers in the playoffs, NBA record, there's just a lot for him to go work on to become a guy that you can count on to solve defenses, which is ultimately all that matters when you get to this stage of the playoffs. It's it's a big it's almost like a math equation at that point. And I, I I think I'm not worried about Tatum's trajectory as a player or anything like that, but this was a tough pill to swallow if you're talking about Tatum as the next uh heir to the small forward, power forward kind of like elite wing conversation that Kawhi, LeBron, Durant, Giannis, you know, if you're in that club, he's still got some ways to go. Uh yeah. Tatum was massively disappointing. And you can say that without also acknowledging, like you said, he's 24. He will get better. He's got all the tools. You know, I was hard on Giannis a couple of years ago. I was even harder on Giannis because I thought he was very limited. And I didn't know if he could develop the things he needed to to become a superstar. And he he proved me wrong. And he did it. And Tatum, in a lot of ways, can can prove us wrong with, with the, the handling, getting to the rim, the finishing, all the things that he struggled with this series. He could take a leap forward. Um I think the hard part is we all know he's better than Jalen Brown, right? Maybe. On, Do we? The, I mean, objectively, like, I, like, let's not overreact to the series. Over the course yes. of the season, okay. he was yes. better than Jalen Brown. He is also an all-NBA type player. No, no, not all-NBA type player. He is an all-first-team all-NBA player. He dropped 46 against Giannis. This on guy the road. has on the road. The elimination game, yeah. This isn't incredible. Wiggins, right? Wiggins, like, going back to the Wiggins combo, Wiggins has a clear ceiling of scoring. Like, he never gets above 26, 27 points. That's not Tatum. Tatum can explode. And so to go into a series like this where um, you're struggling every game, it's not just two games, three games, every game you struggle to shoot, you struggle to get anything going, struggle to get to the free throw line, you're complaining on top of it. And in that last game, Watching Jalen Brown do everything I thought Tatum should be doing, except yep. it was Jalen Brown, who we already agreed on right now is not the same type of caliber player. Right. That tells you everything. That a lot of it is mental. A lot of it, he got frustrated by Wiggins. And 
he'll come back, he'll get better, but it was just to see this for six straight games where he only I think only game two or game three, he had more than two quarters of good play. Otherwise, every game it's kind of sporadic. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I just expect a lot more. Like I I'm a big Tatum fan, but this was such a massively disappointing series and way to go out for him. Well, you know, it's interesting because Tatum was uh, you know, the number three pick, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we remember, I think all Philly fans will never forget this. They traded out at three to go up to one to take Fultz. Lonzo goes two. Jason Tatum goes three. Uh, the rest is history. But he's been pretty much like amazing for his age at every stage of his career. Like as a rookie, uh, you know, he shot forty three percent from three. Um, he went to the conference finals. He went toe to toe with LeBron in a game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. So. You start with that floor, you're like, oh, my God. And he's gotten better every year. He's literally increased his scoring average every year. He's 13.9 as a rookie. He's up to 27 now in year five. Three-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, all of the works, right? And um, you just think, like, part of this is the expectation. Um, Part of this is all of the ways you can – you know how they do, like, only this many players have ever done something under 25, like this many points, this many wins. It's LeBron, it's KD, it's, it's um, you know, Michael Jordan, it's Jason Tatum. Like there'll be like so many of those kind of lists. And so there's always this like, wow, we're talking rarefied air, which I think he absolutely has a chance to get to. Um, but I was disappointed, like you said, to see how he was not learning from his mistakes as the series went on. I don't know if that was fatigue. Uh, like I said, he played almost a thousand minutes in the playoffs, which is which is insane. Um, I don't know if that was just general, like he still needs to learn the basketball IQ parts of things better. Um, or I don't know if it was just kind of like Wiggins got in his head a little bit and there's like a mental fortitude piece that had to be developed where he was scared to go around Wiggins and then get to Draymond and Looney at the rim. He didn't feel confident in himself. He played more like a 6'1 guard than he did a 6'8 forward. Um, you know, relying on step back threes, relying on mid range jumpers, really trying to avoid contact. It was almost like he was a bad free throw shooter. This guy shoots like 85% from the line. It's like, he was almost trying to play like avoiding to get to the line, like how Ben Simmons or Rajon Rondo would play. Um, and, and you mentioned Jalen. You remember last week we talked about how Jason Tatum might had good numbers, but he was, he looked like he was the third option on the floor just from like a confidence and sort of like taking the bull by the horns kind of thing that couldn't be more true last Mm -hmm. night. Um, Jalen Brown was, he ended up with 34 points. He was gunning. He was going forward. He was hitting tough shots. He was getting to the rim. He was attacking mismatches. Al Horford was starting to play well. And here you have Tatum just kind of sitting around being like, I don't want this moment. And that's what I really worry about. If it's an, I don't want this moment situation. That's a little different than if it's, um, you know, I'm just tired or I'm just like, you know, hurt or whatever. Yeah, I want I mean, I want to know if he did have a shoulder injury because he's been nursing that or holding it right throughout much of the series. And I'd rather just have them come out and say he's dealing with something because right now it's unclear whether was he limited by injury and maybe that's why shying away from contact or is it just kind of mentally that's where he was at. Um, so, th- so that's the part. The injury is kind of an unknown and I don't know if we're going to hear later on he did have a torn shoulder or, or I don't know. He had to he had dislocated his shoulder at one point, had to pop it back in. It was causing him issues. But no excuses, man. Like, I, I think 
the the difference between watching Jalen and Jason is Jalen explodes to the rim. And that's why he has some of those like rim rocking dunks and you know he embraces contact. I think Tatum is trying to draw contact, but in the same way Harden's trying to draw it with the the outstretched arms and not going forcefully to the rim. And I don't know how to describe it, but that's what's also impacting his ability to finish because he's he's not trying to embrace that contact fully. And just go through guys. He's trying to Euro step around them and doing and all yeah, sorts of shit. And I get he's lanky, but like you're he's so eight, like two forty. You're like T Mac. Like this is like he looks a little bit like T Mac, right? Or Paul George. Like all those guys can explode to the rim. Although the Paul George comp is funny because the criticism of Paul George is he settles too much for the three and the jumper, and that's what Tatum's been doing. Like Tatum's got to realize you're like Rudy Gay, right? When Tatum came into the <laughs> don't, league, Rudy, don't insult this guy, man. I'm just saying when Tatum came into the league, uh, Rudy Gay was his biggest comp. Now everyone knew he'd be better, but like play style, he's averaging uh, the same number of free throw attempts as peak Rudy Gay. He's averaging the same number of assists as peak Rudy Gay, or very close. And I, I look, I'm not saying he's Rudy Gay, but I'm just saying he's got a he can't be a, a supersized version of that player he needs to be something else and he has all the tools to be much better than that um so that that's the only thing and i, and I think he can get there he's still young but it's yeah i mean he's yeah. 24 he's well on his way to a hall of fame career i think paul george is probably the best comp and i actually expect him to outpace paul george just in terms of he like should. he's already been to three conference finals and a finals he's a three-time all-star two-time all-nba like i mentioned year five going into year six and there's no reason why he shouldn't just be trying to he's going to be stacking up the accolades so it's less about that though it's less about what the resume says it's more about like what you're doing with the game on the line and i watched the boston miami series and i was trusting jimmy butler more even though he's clearly not a better player and i think we talked about this as well where it's like jimmy for all his flaws is not scared of the moment has a motor that will never quit and ultimately will always kind of go hard. And that's what you want from Tatum. I feel like Brown has that intensity, but he doesn't have that skill, right? So maybe Brown's comp, so to speak, is Jimmy Butler, whereas Tatum's comp is Paul George. Paul George is a little bit more mellow. He's a little bit more like, I'm going to take a bunch of like step back threes and kind of chill and kind of walk around. And I'm a gunner. Like I can go get 40, I can go get 50, whatever you want. Like I'm going to go get 10 boards if we need to. But you don't see it every possession. And that's, I think, what Tatum has to work on, which I think he will. Like I said, like I'm not worried about him long-term in any way. I just think there is a version of him that is a top 15 guy for the duration of his career, and there's a version of him that's top five for the rest of his career. And there's a huge difference in those two kinds of players. Top five yeah. means you would have won the series because you're on Steph's level. Top 15 means you need a collective team effort. And when guys like Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams and, you know, others are not hitting shots, you don't have the juice to get you over the edge. Yeah. Um, I thought we saw that with the way Steph played, right? When Draymond was like a total egg and Clay was going five of 20 and Wiggins was the only guy that was really making shots. Steph, like game four, 43 points, 10 rebounds because he had to get it done despite they were literally triple teaming him or like putting every person on the floor, like was guarding him, watching him, and it didn't matter. And that's the big difference with a top five guy versus a top 15 guy. And I'm actually excited to watch Tatum because 
if you're a Celtics fan, you're trying to like figure out, okay, what's the positive of this? I mean, you have a 24 and a 26 year old, basically with their first finals experience, they're both got an eight to 10 year runaway of being great. Then really you've already, Brad Stevens did an awesome job retooling around the edges. Why can't he do that again with the next version? Robert Williams was an incredible find, right? Um, Marcus Smart, I mean, we could, <laughs> I'm not a Marcus Smart guy. I'll put it that way. Um, I think he's extremely overrated, but uh, you can find a point guard, right? They're, they're around. Like that's not difficult to find someone to be a table setter. And then you just have to fill out the bench and you have a couple guys who flashed. Derek White has had some moments. Grant Williams has had some moments. There's a lot to like about this team moving forward, but I think it's in terms of championship contention, it really hinges around the Tatum development. It absolutely does. And I, you know, it's funny. We've never played, obviously, we've never played any kind of professional basketball. But I was going to say professional basketball. Didn't you this. play in Croatia for a couple of years? <laughs> I wish. Um, at, at this level in the finals. And look, what Tatum went through, it could just be mental, right? And we've seen a lot of players go through. LeBron, I'll admit, like 2011, he's admitted. It gets that in was your a head. disaster. It yeah. was a disaster. It gets it in your head. It was worse than what we saw from Tatum in this playoffs. In this finals, I mean. Yeah, I don't even uh, I think it's worse because the expectations, but LeBron had a couple good games, right? I feel like Tatum, he had 20 points, but he's anyways. That's besides <laughs> the point. LeBron started off that series decently, and then he they got into his head and he completely collapsed. And we've seen this with many players, man, like Giannis against Miami. Uh, I think how about against start, Toronto? They were up 2-0, lost four straight. Or against Toronto. Like a lot of these stars have gone through these moments where they kind of shrink in the moment for a couple games in a row, and then they lose the series they should have won. So I can't be too harsh on Tatum because this isn't, you know, unique. It's just, I think it's one of those things where we know he can do it now. So why not do it now? Why say you're 24 and wait for you to develop? Like you've got the tool set and you're in the finals. Like this isn't the second round where you you flame out. This is you're in the finals against a Warriors team that, as good as they are, has its flaws. Why not now? And and you see a guy like Jalen Brown elevate his game. His shooting numbers were atrocious. He turned it over a ton. But I still respect the effort he gave at the end of that game. I can't say that about Tatum. And that's the most disappointing part. If you're gonna call yourself Kobe or Kobe is your mentor, then go out gunning. Like. What is this? Yeah. Why is Marcus Smart soaking up all these offensive possessions late in the game when you could be doing that? And instead, you're sitting on the corner next to Andrew Wiggins, just afraid to even cut off ball. Yeah. Well, Marcus Smart soaking up possessions is a decision that only well, that. Marcus Smart gets to make. But yeah, I think, look, we're talking about a team that made the finals. Uh, so there, it's nitpicking to some degree. But I think we're also talking about a team that if they want to win two to three championships with this core, has to has work to do as well, right? And that's really what it's about. We're not just saying, okay, could you guys be a top three seed in the East next year? Yes, I expect them to be, you know? It's less about it's less about the contention. It's more about, sorry, it's less about being in a group of contenders and more about being like the favorite among that group. There's no guarantee that any team can win a championship again. It's like, at the end of the day, think about this, right? Last year, we we're like, the Bucks only won because of all these injuries. The Suns only got to the finals because of all these injuries. This year, that same Bucks team was thought of as the favorite, and the reason that the Celtics got there was because of the Bucks injuries. So my point being is, like, we're moving the goalposts all the time on all this stuff because things change, circumstances change, and we just have to be mindful of that. Um, but, yeah, I think the desire, the want, we saw it in the Milwaukee series. Again, 
Game six on the road, elimination versus the defending champs. He goes toe-to-toe with Giannis. You can't play that way if you don't have the dog in you. Yeah. Um, but you have to make sure there's a way to bring that out every time you're on the floor. And I thought it was really weird, and I really felt that like this whole series changed in game four when Draymond was benched. Um, Steph got loose, and then the Celtics started throwing the ball all over the damn gym. So they went from up 2-1 with the lead at home to a really demoralizing loss. And even at 2-2, it looked like they thought they were done. Um, They came out flat in game five, and they were certainly flat after that hot start in game six. Game five, they made a run, right? They got it. They actually took the lead in the third quarter. But then the fourth quarter, they had their problems. Like, I mean, we got to send like a dribbling coach out there, um, just kind of doing like basic around the cones drills for all their players. And then maybe some type of target practice for passes because the decision making was beyond poor across the board. It was getting hard to watch because every single possession was either a really forced late shot in the shot clock or driving into a cluster of people and getting stripped or throwing, you know, driving with no idea what you're doing. You're in the air and you just throw it backwards for like 20, 20 feet. Dude, I I don't even know how Celtics fans did it because I was ready to throw my remote across the room like yesterday. I was getting so frustrated watching that game. Um, and it's just and so much of it's self-inflicted. That's that's the worst part. Like dribbling and bad turnovers is all self-inflicted. That's I mean, yes, the Warriors played good defense, but that I think that is why it this whole series, man, it just feels like Boston defensively they played amazing this entire series yes that went off but like given you know what the warriors kind of oftentimes look like that offense they stimmied them for for most of the series that everything boiled down to turnovers and i want to look up the stats on this right like when a team like boston has 18 turnovers in game five usually when a team has a high number of turnovers the next game guess what happens they tighten it up a lot. Like it's just an immediate correction, right? That's they just get very tighter with tight with the handle. They don't make the risky passes. I can I bet you if you look back at NBA history, like all teams that have had 18 turnovers in a playoff game, the next game is gonna be drastically lower. They went the other way and it got worse. Like I, I didn't think that their ball handling and turnover problem could get worse, and it did at home. And so I don't know how you fix that. Maybe it's just bringing a point guard, maybe someone who can stabilize the offense in those moments. But it the the hard part for the Celtics too is it was so much of it was self inflicted. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I was obsessed with their defense as someone who was rooting against them in every series. Uh, I was obsessed with how good they were defensively. Five five men, including Tatum, who's an awesome defender. I know we were dumping on him here a little bit, but like Tatum, Brown, Horford, White, Smart, yeah. Williams. Those are six elite, elite defenders. And even Grant Williams in certain matchups. Like Grant Williams, I thought, was their best Giannis defender, frankly. Um, So they gave everything they had on that end, and then offensively they threw it all away. And it's funny, and that's 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 the beauty of basketball, because if you have a historic defense in the NFL... There's anger towards your shitty quarterback who can't yeah. do anything, who's not making the throws, who's giving you a short field. And there's almost like this malcontent because it's just like the, the, the sides are not in balance. The beauty of basketball is it's the one sport where you truly play both ways. Even soccer and hockey, you have offensive players, you have defensive players. Baseball, you know, 
certain positions defensively are way more important than others based on you know where the ball's hit, et cetera. Basketball is the one that feels the most of a meritocracy on both ends of the ball. So you have no one to blame but yourself, right? And so you everything you work for on one end, you have to convert on the other, or it's all for not. I think Boston learned that. And you know, the Warriors are not the team you want to make those mistakes again with the way that they can run out and the way they can shoot, they'll kill you. Um we saw that all the way back in the Nuggets series, round one, where Nuggets would make mistakes because it was Facundo Campazzo and Austin <laughs> uh, Rivers going at it. And the Warriors just, you know, it was a good night, good luck. And, you know, we got to see four uh, sleep motions from Steph for the four rounds no, that they God. won. But <laughs> anyway, look, I think we're super excited about the offseason and what's to come. Um, both of our teams. Wizards and Kings, baby. We're yeah, make we're that both trend. prominently involved in the next uh, week or so of action. Our favorite time of the year, the NBA draft, is next Thursday. Let's try to come back either Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. We'll do a draft preview. We'll talk about, you know, hopefully by then there's some transactions that have been announced. I know Christian Wood to Dallas was the main one from yesterday. Uh, so hopefully we'll see a little bit more. Um you know, in advance of that, congrats to the Warriors on their fourth title of the last eight years. Congrats to the Celtics on an incredible season that fell just short. Um, it's a wrap, man. That was a really fun season. I, I, I'm, I can't believe how long the playoffs felt like they lasted, but they're finally over. I know, and now we're gonna miss it, man. We got nothing but this is that dreaded stretch of no football, no basketball. I could care less about baseball. Um, what do we Carson do? Wentz do looks really good in OTAs, just <laughs> FYI. Oh, I forgot he was on the Commanders. Oh, my yeah, God. that's yeah. right. I think he's actually going to have a big-time rebound season. Yeah. Um, we'll all right, well, that's a wrap for us. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on social media. Send us your questions. What are you thinking about with the draft and free agency? We can't wait. This is the best part of the NBA season, the time that basketball is actually not being played. So <laughs> the, the next three weeks are going to be a lot of fun, and we can't wait to cover it. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.